0: to 2nd Chronicles chapter 21 2nd Chronicles chapter 21 and this evening's study is about a good father and a degenerate son a good father and a degenerate son we come to a place in the Bible tonight that in a lot of ways has a lot of twists and turns sin is the reason for its complication because that's what sin does Sin complicates things. Sin brings confusion to life. Sin always makes matters worse. The problem with sin is, one of many, sin attracts a lot of people. You know, it leads them into doing strange things because sin is deceitful. Sin is alluring, it's inviting, it's enticing. Again, basically all the same words, but just different, you know, ways. Uh, It it draws you in because it seems to be something new. And people are always looking for something new, something exciting, something out of the ordinary. But sin is deceitful. And it draws you in again because, uh, you know, people are looking for something that that is different and maybe wonderful. and, And it's complicated. It has so many ins and outs, so many twists and turns. Sin throws a lot of curves at you. And you you experience things that you never expected to experience, and we'll see this in Jehoram's life. Jehoram is the son of King Jehoshaphat. He takes his father's place as king of Judah after his father dies. Jehoshaphat spent many years using his power and his influence uh, in his in his position. Working to bring about godliness and justice and he succeeded resulting in real prosperity throughout his kingdom When jehoshaphat died He left judah a lot less corrupt And much stronger and richer of a place than he found it but then Came his son his firstborn Jehoram who traditionally inherited a throne after he died but unfortunately, Jehoram wasn't anything like his father. Jehoram destroyed all the good work that his father did. Everything that at least Jehoram had the power to destroy because he was a degenerate son. Let's begin in, verse, in chapter 21 with verses 1 through 11. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers. That means Jehoshaphat died and was buried with his uh, ancestors in the city of David. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, and Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. And when a king had a son, the firstborn son would be next in line to inherit the throne. Verse 4, now when Jehoram was established over the kingdom, that means when his kingdom was well established, he strengthened himself and he killed all his brothers with the sword and also others of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he made with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Jehoram went out with his officers and all his chariots with him. And he rose by night and he attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. At that time Libna revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry. And led Judah astray. So Jehoram, Jehoshaphat's son, married into the wicked family of Ahab and Jezebel. Jehoram married their daughter, Athaliah. And he learned to do evil from them. Based on the things that he did, he was a pretty good student. Let's look at the advantages that Jehoram had in this family. First of all, Jehoram had a good father, Jehoshaphat. It's an, he was an example. His father was an example that he should have followed. And also whose instructions should have taught him many things. Whose prayers should have influenced him to walk wisely. But they didn't. Proverbs one eight uh, Solomon says, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Godliness is not hereditary. But evil is. It was inherited. We inherited it. Through, through Adam. And our actions make it pretty clear. And this is especially true in the home. Children learn our values. They learn our morals and priorities by watching how we, their parents, act and how we react every day. You help set their pattern for their adult life. And if parents show a deep reverence for and dependence upon God, the children will catch these attitudes. Let them see your reverence for God. Teach them right living by giving the worship of God and the word of God an important place in your family life. Now, the godly example does not always lead to godliness. We have many cases in scripture and in everyday life where we see this is true. Our children, though they're raised in godly homes and we've done all that we can and again, you know, we make mistakes, but we've honestly tried to raise them in the ways of the Lord. They still have to make the choice to accept the Lord. So, again, we see in Scripture many, again, godly examples of godly men <clears throat> whose children didn't follow the ways of the Lord. Uh, again, as they, because one of the things is as they grow up and they start to go to school, that's when they begin to be indoctrinated in the ways of the world. The world begins to influence them and indoctrinate them. And the principles and the standards that you taught them are challenged by worldly teaching. Some, teacher, some children, are, children are influenced and pulled away by the world's ways. And, and, and some even stop following the ways that they were taught at home. But that's why it's so important that the scriptures tell us that we are to train our children in the ways of the Lord so when they get older, they may not depart from it. It's so important that they're taught godly ways so that when they grow up, that when they get older again, the world begins and the world begins to undermine their godly ways. They at least have a godly foundation that they can fall back on. We read in the First Samuel 8, 1-3, Samuel was a godly man. It says, now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But listen, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Eli, 1 Samuel 2.12, says, Eli, the sons of Eli, they were corrupt and did not know the Lord. Eli was a priest. So again, we see examples of men that that raised their children in the ways of the Lord, even though Eli later on didn't discipline the way he should have. But again, they were raised in godly ways. We see, secondly, one of the advantages, the second one of, of Jehoram, is he grew up in a good environment. Being the first son, he inherited a high position, the throne. He inherited a peaceful kingdom, and he became ruler of a people with a lot of promise and a growing empire. Jehoram had everything to make him happy in life and to be thankful for the mercies that he had been given and to lead him to think of God and devote himself to the Lord as well and to use his talents to make things better morally and materially for the people that he served. But he neglected his and his people's salvation. A third advantage we see that Jehoram had, he had a good God. Verse 5 says that God had given him 32 years when a lot better men than he was died young. God gave Jehoram time to grow in wisdom before he was called to take on the heavy responsibilities of the throne. And it was God who promoted him to his father's throne, which could have easily been given to somebody else, verse 3 says. God put up with him in his wickedness because of his servant David. God punished Jehoram by letting the Edomites revolt, according to verse 8. God stirred up the Philistines and Arabs against him and afflicting him with with a terminal illness. We see in verse 18 that Elijah warned him about. But in spite of all of God's goodness, Jehoram did not walk in the ways of his father, Jehoshaphat, or his grandfather, Asa. But he, he, he walked in the ways of Ahab, the king of Israel. Now let's look at his disadvantages. He had a wicked heart. Even though Jehoram <clears throat> belonged to Judah and he was the son of Jehoshaphat, he was not a child of grace. And his whole life that followed proved that to be true. So it was no surprise that later on Jehoram, the king of Judah, did not resemble at all his father Jehoshaphat in any way, shape, or form. And Paul said in Romans 9, 6-7, They are not all Israel who are of Israel. nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. Paul would say, hey, not all who are born into the nation of Israel were truly members of God's people. Romans 2, 28 and 29, Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but he who is a Jew is one inwardly. You're not a true Jew, Paul says, just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. A true Jew is one who is, whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not just obeying the letter of the law. It's not just going through the, uh, the physical ritual. It is a change of heart that is produced by God's Spirit. But just become Je- because Jehoram wasn't born good does not excuse him from his bad behavior. Because God's grace was ready to help him overcome his natural corruption. And it's the same with any living soul. Paul said in Romans 10 through 12, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And again, that's because we were born with a corruptible nature. But... Deuteronomy 36 says this, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. You see, repentance will bring a spiritual revival to those who repent. Deuteronomy 30 verse six says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. It's like conversion. God will do a great work. And God will make a great change in the hearts of the people who have repented. And they will have a great love for God in their hearts. And they will desire to do his will, obey his word. A second disadvantage uh, that Jehoram had was, was a bad wife. Athaliah, even though she was a king's daughter, was a terribly wicked woman. Now, she may have had a high position. She may have been beautiful and gifted, smart. But on the inside, she was very, very evil. She was like her mother Jezebel. She was superstitious, she was extravagant, she was vicious, she was domineering, and she was stubborn. In the presence of women like Jezebel, even strong men find it hard to resist the destructive influence of their arrogant natures. While weak men like Ahab and Jehoram are dragged down. Again, she may have been a strong ungodly influence, but he could never and no, no spouse can ever blame their spouse for how they behave. Again, she may have been a wicked influence, but Jehoram could not blame her for his wickedness. Because he still had the last duty to do what was right, to say no. You can't ever blame your spouse or anybody for your ungodly behavior. The most terrible thing that can happen to a weak man like this is to marry a woman like Athaliah, a woman who seems to be partnered up with the devil, will surely and quickly drag her husband down, even to hell, if he doesn't repent. And even the grace of God would be hard to stop it. This was the mess that Jehoram got himself into. A third disadvantage that Jehoram had, he had a bad environment. A man's surroundings has some influence on them, but again, and, and that, that environment either helps him or hinders him in life. If it's good, it will at least slow down his fall. If it's bad, it'll speed it up. There probably couldn't have been anything worse for Jehoram than to have been married to, to, for him to marry Ahab's daughter. And it surely didn't help having Ahab for a father in law and Jezebel for a mother in law and Ahaziah and Jehoram for four brothers in laws and the house of Omri generally as relatives and friends. He was surrounded by wickedness. But again, we can't blame our environment. And many times I hear over the years how say, Well, you know, I didn't have good parents, I didn't have a good environment in the home, and that's why I'm the way No. Once again, it may have some influence, but you still have the last duty to say no and to do the right thing. Because God says he's, gonna, he's going to judge us according to our works. And he's not going to say, yeah, well, you know, I understand that your parents weren't very good role models. And, you know, the, no. Because he's given each of us a mind to think and to do what's right. And we have to choose to do what's right. Again, we... Uh, We can't blame our environment. We can't blame our parents. We can't blame our spouse, our neighborhood that we grew up in, our lack of education, our poverty or wealth or anything else for our bad behavior. Again, Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says, because the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, cleanse your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and, and that you may live. First Kings 8.58, he may incline our hearts to himself, notice, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments. Ezekiel eleven nineteen through 20, then, notice God says, then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. God says, I will take care of you. I will make the change in your life if you turn it over to me. This new life can only be done by the work of the Holy Spirit through the new birth. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Otherwise, you will try, you will will make resolutions, and you will try with all of your might, but you will, like like, like the pig, will always go back to the mire. The dog always returning to his vomit. It is God who does the work. But we have to recognize and turn from our sin. And then when we do, God will give us new desires, new guiding principles, and a new purpose. Jehoram was a deviant brother. Jehoram had six brothers with great names. Azariah and Azarjahu, their names meant whom Jehovah helps. Jehiel means God lives. Zechariah means whom Jehovah remembers. Michael means who is like God. And Shephthathiah means whom Jehovah uh, defends. Secondly, Jehoram's brothers were royalty. And they were, were, were well taken care of by their father, whose crown, again, went to Jehoram as the next king because he was the oldest. Jehoshaphat, in verse 3, it says, gave his other sons great gifts of silver, gold, and property. And the reason he gave the other sons these gifts, the purpose was to satisfy each of his sons because only one of them could be king after him. So they had no reason now, after, God, after the father took care of them like this, they had no reason to be unhappy with their life, and they probably weren't. We see the character of Jehoram's brothers. They were better than Jehoram was, verse 13 says, probably in every way, physically, mentally, morally, especially religiously Jehoshaphat's godliness had influenced them more than it did Jehoram they probably didn't think very much or very highly of Jehoram's idolatrous behavior and as well as the wicked rule of him and his wife and then we read that Jehoram again was a deviant brother he murders his brothers all six of them whatever the reason is whether it was for greed whether it was a desire to get their wealth Or he was afraid that one of them might take the throne while they were alive, which was usually the case because many kings would go out and kill the men of the previous dynasty just in case they thought, you know what, we're going to try to overtake the throne. And so, you know, he may have done this here. Or Jehoram hated them so much because they hated his evil ways. Whatever the reason, it was clearly a horrible thing for Jehoram to do. And along with his brothers, we read he killed princes, several of the princes of Israel, probably for the same reasons, because they disapproved of his behavior and sided with his brothers. Jehoram was a worthless king, a traitor to the faith. In reality, Jehoram was was never religious. In reality, he never was religious. But being king, Judah's king, and Jehoshaphat's son, he should have protected the worship of the true and living God. But instead, Jehoram became a follower of Baal. And he chose to worship the false <clears throat> gods of, his heathen, uh, of the heathens. So he built high places for them in the mountains of Judah. He, he practically undid all the work that his devout, devout father had done. And his grandfather had done. And he caused the residents of Jerusalem, those living in Jerusalem, he caused them to commit spiritual fornication. For example, they practiced idolatry. And he influenced Judah by violence to go astray. (laughs) Secondly, he had a weak government. He was a weakling in, in the government. Under Jehoram, the Edomites, who paid taxes when his father Jehoshaphat was on the throne, they became restless. And they got their independence. Jehoram was a small man in character, a small man of character. Apart from the plague that struck him that we'll see as we get towards the end of the chapter. As far from the plague that struck him in his last days while he was still in middle life, he was clearly a poor and wicked person. When he died, nobody cared. Nobody mourned for him. At least none of his subjects and no one was sorry to see him go. Men were glad to see him go. His people didn't build a great funeral fire to honor him like they did for his father and his uh, godly grandfather when they died. We read here that they buried him in the city of David, in the last verse, the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings, and that's because they didn't want to defile the graves of the good kings. The lessons to be learned in verses 1 through 11 is you need to have a personal faith, which Jehoram did not, because you can't inherit your parents' faith. Because you grow up in a godly home does not make you a Christian. Again, understand, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You need to make a personal relationship with Him on your own. Jesus said, For I, the Son of Man, will come in the glory of my Father with His angels, and notice, and I will judge all people according to their deeds. Notice, According to their deeds, not according to who they married, not according to their environment, not according to their neighborhood they lived in or wealth or their, anything, their education or lack of it. But I would, he said, I will judge them according to their deeds. Secondly, the duty of parents, we learn from this, these lessons, the duty of parents to provide for their children, as demonstrated by Jehoshaphat, as he provided for his sons. He gave them gifts of silver and gold, and he gave them the property. We read in 2 Corinthians 12, 14 through 15, Paul said, For the children ought to lay up for their parents. I'm sorry, ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Third, we see here that, that, that we learn from this, these verses, the misery of sin's fruit when it has fully grown. James 1, 15 says, Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In some of the worst ways, like murder, like we saw here in Jehoram, fatricide. Siblings killing each other. We see also now the value of a good wife. We learn in these lessons from verse 11, the value of a good wife. It's implied from the misery of a bad one that Jehoram experienced. Again, Proverbs thirty-one ten says, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. We read also in also Proverbs twelve fourteen: an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness or cancer in his bones. The next thing that we learn from verses 1 through 11 is the mercy of God to great sinners, even when they don't repent. And we see this illustrated by God's tolerance of Jehoram. And Psalm 103a says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And then the sixth lesson we learn from verses 1 through 11 is the deadly influence of sin in high places. Ecclesiastes 9, 18, Solomon said, One sinner destroys much good. Now let's look at verses 12 through 20. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord God of your father David, Notice, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat your father, or in the ways of Asa, his grandfather, king of Judah, but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the har- harlotry of the house of Ahab, and also have killed your brothers, those of your father's household who were better than yourself, behold, the Lord will strike your people with a serious affliction. Notice how the people suffer as well for the king's poor leadership. He says uh, he will strike your people with a serious affliction, your children, your wives and all your possessions. Everybody suffers because of his sin. sin. And you will become very sick with, with a disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. "...moreover the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house, and also his sons and his wives, so that there was not a son left to him except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. After all this, the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease." Then it happened in the course of time after the end of two years that his intestines came out because of his sickness. So he died in severe pain and his people made no burning for him like the burning for his fathers. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years and to no one's sorrow departed. However, they buried him in the city of David but not in the tombs of the kings. So we see dual charges here brought against... Jehoram by Elijah. Jehoram is charged with idolatry. Not only did he forsake the way of Jehoshaphat, his father and his grandfather Asa, and the worship of Jehovah, he turned to worshiping Baal and other idols. Not only did he do that, but he corrupted the whole house of Judah, and they paid the price and caused them. He caused them to commit spiritual adultery like the house of Ahab. The second charge was murder. He murdered all six brothers, it says, who were better than he was. Then there was a dual venge, uh, uh, payback, a dual payback. There was a great blow to his people, his house, his wives and children, his property, that is his goods and his substance. As prosperity, prosperity was a usual sign of goodness, adversity was normal under Jehovah's government of Israel, to follow the works of, uh, of wickedness. So prosperity was a sign of God's blessing. And uh, um, um, again, uh, adversity was a sign of, of uh, wicked works, God's judgment. Secondly, there was a, not only a blow to his people, but the second uh, uh, punishment was a greater blow to himself. And, in, and that came in the way of a slow, incurable bowel disease a nasty and fatal disease that would affect his intestines, and it would last for two years before he died. The warning in verse 14 was fulfilled. The warning that Elijah gave him in verse 14 was fulfilled. Jehoram's kingdom was invaded, according to verse 16. The key person was Jehovah. Like like, like Elijah predicted, God is going to do this. And it says, The Lord stirred up the spirit of the Philistines and Arabians like he did many other times. All of these people had been at peace with both Asa and Jehoshaphat. That's Jehoram's grandfather and his dad. But now the Philistines and the Arabians, their spirit is stirred up. War is coming. Why? Because war is the result of sin. James said in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your, for, uh, from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Sometimes we think of war as being made on the battlefield. But war takes place right at home. I think it's the biggest battlefield. It starts in the sinfulness of our heart. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart. The word keep means guard, like you would guard a prisoner. Keep your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it, the heart springs the issues of life. A sick heart, a sick life. A healthy heart. A healthy and wholesome life. If we pollute that spring, the heart from where the issues of life come from, the infection will spread, and before long, those hidden desires of the heart will become open sins, and they'll disgrace us. The Bible warns us about the heart in several ways. The Bible warns us to avoid having avoid having a double heart in Psalm twelve two, a hard heart in Proverbs twenty eight fourteen, a proud heart in, in Proverbs twenty one four, an unbelieving heart in Hebrews three twelve, a cold heart in Matthew twenty four twelve, and an unclean heart. In Psalm 51.10, that's why the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Because Jeremiah said, our heart is desperately wicked. And we don't even know our own hearts. But God does, because he created us. Because again, as I said before, Warren Wiersbe says, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's where it begins, because of our sinful nature. The Bible tells us that God does whatever he pleases. And he does whatever whatever he pleases in order to accomplish his own wise and sovereign purposes. And he allows things to happen, again, working all things according to the counsel of his will. Secondly, the instruments that God used to accomplish his purpose were the Philistines. They were Israel's longtime enemies. And he stirred up the Arabians here. And these two forces together, the Philistines and the Arabians, occurs in more than than here in in, in Scripture. They appear in other places. The extent of the invasion is given in the details. The cruel armies, they uh, invaded Judah. And it looks like they captured the capital because they carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house suggesting that all the property of the palace or all the king's property found in the country in the cities in the villages and the castles of judah was taken by the enemy and let me tell you it's an example of what satan will do when he comes in he will take everything everything that you've worked hard for everything that that you know that that god has given you man if And if you don't walk with God and you allow him to come in and he has his way, he will take everything from you and he will take it quickly. Also, Jehoram's wives and sons, except for Jehoahaz or Ahaziah, they were prisoners. And in 2 Chronicles 22, he's killed later on. The affliction of Jehoram's body. It was some illness. It was either a violent dysentery or some disease of the intestines. But number one, it was sudden. It was sudden. The Lord struck him with some mysterious illness that we can't... Scripture doesn't tell us directly of a physical cause. So uh, it's believed that it was a supernatural cause. God just said, boom, this is it. Just like when he struck Miriam with leprosy. It 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 was a judgment of God. Secondly, Jehoram's uh, judgment was painful. We read that the disease, was pain, the disease was painful. Thirdly, it was long and drawn out. His sickness lasted for two years. Fourth, we see that this, this judgment was disgusting. His bowels fell out at the end of two years. And last, it was deadly. He died because of his illness. So his affliction was sudden, it was painful, it was long and drawn out, it was disgusting, and it killed him. Those are the effects of sin. That's what sin will do to you. It will rob everything it can from you physically, and it will take you uh, spiritually as well. Satan will take it all. And what did Jesus say? That Satan came to what? Rob, kill, and destroy. That's his goal. So in closing, we learn from this, Number one, God's knowledge of the past, God's knowledge of characters and the actions of men. We learn from this God's ability to foresee and reveal to men the nature and the tendency of theirs or others' acts. We also learn God's determination to punish those who do wickedly without respect for other people. And we also learn God's resources for carrying out His purpose of judgment or mercy. And it was goodbye to this man, Jehoram. It was goodbye to a bad man when he died. The place where they buried him and the lack of respect they had for him at his burial show how much this man was hated. And we'll see in the next chapters that his wife was one of the most hated women who ever reigned. Paul said, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You are free to choose whatever you want to do. You are free to choose between living for Jesus or living for the devil. The choice is yours. But don't forget this part. You are not free to choose the consequences of your choice. You make the choice, but then the choice makes you. Each of the two masters jesus and satan good or evil pays with its own kind of wages the wages of sin and the devil is death and hell that's all you can expect or hope for in a life spent without god christ wages is eternal life new life with god that starts on earth and continues forever with god what choice have you made Father, thank you for this great chapter, Lord, as always, your word. and Father, the lessons learned from it, God. The examples of what we should do and what we shouldn't do, Lord. Father, help us, God, to see this in the light in which you have shown us, God. And Lord, help us to take your word seriously, God. God, not just words of history or to fill our head with knowledge lord to puff us up god lord not just for more information but god that your word would transform us god making us into the image of christ lord help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of christ help us to move on to maturity lord Father, help us to no longer drink from the bottle, Lord. As Paul said, many should be teachers by now, but he still had to feed them milk. They were still spiritually dull. God, help us to eat the solid meat of your word and to grow, to move beyond our baby steps that we might walk and then run for the Lord running the race. Maybe you're here tonight and you haven't made the choice to follow Christ. That being the case, you're following the devil, whether you admit to it or not. Because the Bible says that, Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. There's no neutral ground. There's no in the middle of the road. You're either with them or against him. The worship team is going to lead us. In a song of worship. And this time is for you. If you have not accept Christ. As your Lord and Savior. But God's word has spoken to you. The spirit, the spirit has touched your heart. And you want to be like. Like Jehoshaphat. A godly man. That did godly things. And you don't want to be a Jehoram who was murderous, vicious, all about himself. Then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, you make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.